name's Pliskin. It's all in the reflexes. You got a problem with drilling now, Proby? Is that it? We like her, Dad! Oh, you like her, do you? You like her so much you'd rather live with her than your own father? Tonight, we stay with them. And we shut them down. Okay. Ian, are you as excited as I am? I, I'm something, <laughs> Joe. This is going to be an episode. <laughs> I'm so excited for this. Um, I, I, can, I cannot wait to talk about this movie. Before I get going, I have to tell you something really interesting I saw over the weekend. Uh, I was on Instagram, and I saw a really cool video. I, I, I think it was a promotion for Monarch, the, new, the series on Apple with yeah. Kurt and Wyatt. Right, the Godzilla thing. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It was an interview with them kind of side by side. His son is like, I tend to be one of those actors who doesn't like to look at themselves, doesn't like to look at their own work, uh, apart from my dad. And then Kurt goes, well, yeah, I'll watch my stuff from time to time. And Wyatt goes, uh, I've definitely walked in on you <laughs> watching The Thing and Tombstone and being like, this is a pretty good movie. <laughs> <laughs> and they both just start cracking up. And then Kurt confesses. He's like, yeah, I'll do that. And it's pretty fun. And so, they're just laughing so hard. It was so great, man. I was, I, I need to send it to you. It's I mean, really it tracks fun. with the dream I had that one time. Did I tell you about that? No. I had a dream where, for whatever reason, you, me, and some other people were hanging out with Kurt Russell Right. watching Kurt Russell movies with him. <laughs> and I think the thing was one of them. So, <laughs> And he's just into it. He's like, man, this is good. I'm, I'm, this is not bad for me. A good performance. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome. Kurt Russell Rules. This is the podcast about the man himself, Kurt Russell. Uh, I'm Joe, along with my co-host, Ian. And we are excited again to take you on a journey to learn more about the movies of the man himself, Kurt Russell. And as always, here's some of the rules that Mr. Russell can give us. We're kicking off episode number six. It's six. Six, yeah. Uh, and diving into the classic 1996 film, Executive Decision. Mm-hmm. This is it's a rich, movie. rich and deep, and there is a lot to explore here. I am so excited for this. Uh, I'm going to give the people just a bit of an intro to the plot of this. We'll just do a quick synopsis here. Executive Decision, again, 1996 American film directed by Stuart Baird. This was his directorial debut. It stars Kurt Russell. Steven Seagal, mm-hmm. Halle Berry, uh, along with a slew of other familiar yeah. faces. It depicts the rescue of an airliner that's been hijacked by terrorists by a small team placed on the plane in mid-flight. And that's basically it. There's a lot, there's a lot of other details yeah, in there, but that's, details, that's the but that's gist of the story. Yeah. yeah, that's the gist of the story. Again, released in 1996. I think it was March, so a little bit before the summer. Mm-hmm. Um, kind of surprising to me. This feels like it would be a summer action-y movie. How much of that do you think was factored into the fact that Kurt was doing Escape from L.A. at the same time, or that he had <sighs> he was committed to that? That's a really good question. I wouldn't be surprised. There's only one thing that makes me think about that, though, is the fact that his his hair, as we always talk about, we always talk about his hair. His, yeah. hair, his hair's fairly short in this movie. Yeah, it's so not he had like to, short. There was some time growing it out. Right, All the exactly. interviews that I saw of him about this movie. It's super long. It's super long because he right. was doing Escape from LA. Right. So that makes me think like there was a gap there. So I, I don't know. Yeah. Might have, might not have. 6.5 on IMDb, which I think is pretty accurate. Sure. It's pretty entertaining. Did pretty well worldwide. Gross, 122 million. Okay. It's pretty good. I can't remember what the budget was for this. I think it was 50 at the time, which is pretty high for 96. 
I saw a picture of him at an event for the movie and everyone else is fairly done up. Yeah. Like they're wearing yeah. like Steven Seagal's in like yeah. this like very. I saw the same photo. Did you? And yeah. it's like he's in like flannel yes. with like khakis and he, this super long hair with a five o'clock shadow, and he's just hanging out. He looks like a guy that wandered in. Yes, he does. <laughs> he looks like he's like the foreman for the construction, of yeah. like a project at the theater. Like there was a problem and he had to come in and, and yeah. inform somebody and just got caught in a photo. <laughs> yeah, and yeah. it's like he's there with his family <laughs> and it's like Kate Hudson's there when she's like eighteen or whatever. As soon as I saw that, I cracked up by myself. Just looking at it, I was like, of course, this is exactly what he would be wearing. He probably brought like the family station wagon in <laughs> and he just drove in and dropped by for like a couple hours to watch the movie. Incredible. As I said earlier, this is the first film directed by Stuart Baird. He's more of an editor. He's done a lot of oh. editing previously and after this, but notably his other directorial features were U.S. Marshals, the sequel to The Fugitive. Great movie. And Star Trek Nemesis. And then he's edited... A lot. Like, I think he did. He did a couple of the recent Bond films like Skyfall. Uh, music by Jerry Goldsmith. Uh, pretty big name as far as composing goes. If I remember correctly, he did the Next Generation Star Trek theme. So he got some Star Trek similarities there. Yeah. Let's see. Something that I usually don't do, but I thought was interesting because I think it's pretty on the nose, is a segment from Roger Ebert's review of this movie. Mm -hmm. Not from the video, but from his actual like article that he wrote, okay. not from the show. It kicks off the entire review with, it's the kind of thriller where it's fun to chortle over the plot, a movie for people who are sophisticated enough to know how shameless the film is, but fun-loving enough to enjoy its excesses and manic zeal. Yeah. Which I think that's dead on. That's a really good description. Yes, it is. But I think that's dead on. Like if you are aware enough of what kind of popcorn just entertaining film this is, if you can let down your guard enough to just enjoy it for what kind of film it is, and the fact that it is just a fun summary action movie. Rated R. There's some violence in it, but still kind of kind of a hard action movie. Was this movie. rated R? Yeah. Wow. Mm -hmm. Did yeah. not know that. Good amount of uh, violence in it. And sure. I think, I think we've got some... I've been desensitized. Uh, language, salty language. I know. Yeah. That's that's the thing. Yeah. But still, just a really kind of, as he says here, kind of shameless action vehicle for old Kurt. That's most of the production history I have. I don't really have too much else outside of that, except for the stacked cast. Yeah, Which yeah, there's yeah. quite a bit to that cast. Agreed. Is there anything else you wanted to hit on? Not really. Uh, I mean, it, this movie includes Kurt Russell flying in it. Mm -hmm. What's interesting is Kurt, as we've talked in past episodes, is a pilot himself. Right. Before the picture, he wanted to make sure that it was actually plausible to do what he was going to do in this movie. Ah, uh, okay. And he went and did a bunch of extra training, and he was asked in an interview, you know, if you were in this situation, and he just goes, oh, I could do it. Like any pilot. Oh, yeah, I could do it. I did do it. That's awesome. <laughs> it's a really, I mean, he's just super confident about it. It's really, really funny. Uh, That's amazing, man. But what I came across, too, his grandfather was a stunt pilot. Oh, interesting. He has one of the first 200, like, number 192 pilot's license uh, his grandfather did, signed by, like, the Wright brothers, effectively. What? Fascinating history about Kurt's family and aviation. That's incredible, Yeah, it's man. really, really incredible. So I just found huh. that interesting uh, along the way. That's but, really fascinating. Yeah, no, this, Jeez. like you said, really impressive cast, though. Yes, it is. I'm going to go through a number of the faces here. Yeah, hit me with it. We obviously have Kurt. We also have Halle Berry. Mm -hmm. This was her, not her first role, but this is early Halle Berry. It was one of the first that was kind of a, a bigger right. deal for yeah. her, which yeah. kind of surprised me. I didn't realize that. Yeah, it was. It was the first I read. I think it's the first film she got a million dollars for. Okay, cool. Um, so kind of, you know, working her way up the uh, the movie ladder there. 
I remember her most prominently from the Flintstone movie. Yeah. Which, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> she played the secretary to John Goodman's Fred Flintstone. And as a kid, I grew up on that movie and I always, I thought it was really entertaining and she was great in that. Yeah. Um, but yeah, this was a, a big kind of, uh, not a breakout, but one of the bigger roles for her. Uh, on top of that, we have a slew of other fairly big names and familiar faces here. John Leguizamo. Uh, who's been in a ton of stuff. Yeah. This is one of his earlier ones. He was also in Die Hard 2 as one of the bad guys. And really? Yeah. He's very, very small role. Like, I think they even dubbed over his line or two with another actor. So wow. you see his face, and it's he says something, but I don't even think it's his voice. He's, he's in it very briefly. On on top of that, you also have B.D. Wong, who was in uh, SVU, Law & Order, Jurassic Park, Jurassic World. Uh, those are probably the things he's best known yeah, for. Yeah, so in Jurassic Park, he plays the scientist that is kind of in charge of all of the, the gene processing. Right, stuff. exactly. That's how everybody would know him from that, yeah, probably. Yeah, he's kind of the main one there who says that they do breed raptors. And yeah. it's like, oh, no. I'm not going to go through all the names, but it feels like everyone that shows up that's kind of a even small, almost cameo role is just like an actor you've seen before. There's so many faces in here that yeah, are like... Dr. Kelso from yeah, Scrubs. Yeah, yeah There's exactly. a lot of individuals yes. you see, and it's like they, they have small roles in this movie, yeah. but they're very familiar faces. Yes, there's tons yeah. of that, tons of that. I mean, there are two that the additional ones that come to mind for me. One okay. is Joe Morton. He plays Cappy yes. in this movie, yep. and I can only see him as Henry Deacon from the mid to late 2000s TV show Eureka. Interesting. It was a really fun show okay. for me. I'm sure okay. you probably haven't seen it. Mm-mm. I can only see him as that character because I watch that show so much. I, to me, he's always Miles Dyson from Terminator 2. Yeah, okay, yeah, there's that that's, for sure. That's, that's him to me. Yeah. yeah. Um, did you say you had one other person? Yeah, there? I don't know how to pronounce it. David Suchet, whoever it is, he plays the main bad guy in this movie. Oh, yeah, terrorist. him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What was fascinating to me is that a lot of his work is TV work, TV series, mm. TV movies. Before and after this movie. Yeah. But I thought he did an excellent job in this movie. He's good. I think he's really, really good in this movie. Yeah. And it was just surprising. He doesn't have a ton of actual film. Yeah. Or at least like, you know, outside of TV movies. Yeah. It is. He was really good in this. Yeah. His delivery, like there was just a lot going on behind the eyes there. Like just a lot of character building there. I think he did. Mm -hmm. His kind of stoic nature, but also could kind of fly off the handle at any time. Like I think he had a a lot in there. It's pretty kind of spicy. Yeah, role. he did great. So, so I, I have two other things here. Okay. Uh, I have Dan Cloyd, who is the military and Navy advisor for this movie. Okay. Which was really fascinating. He had an amazing career, like 36 years in the military. He was the commanding officer of the flight squadron that was used in this movie. That's awesome. Which is really, really cool. Uh, so, Dan, if you're listening and wondering why some <laughs> random guy in Kentucky was all over your LinkedIn profile, that's why. <laughs> uh, I just got sucked in. And then our main man... Dennis Lydiard. He's back. Joe. He's back. He's back. Yeah. He was the key makeup artist. So he was the man in charge. Oh, wow. Of this movie. So I'm really glad to see him kind of running the yeah. show this time. That's cool. Did you see anything else with the, uh, was it the same like stunt double or double or anything like that? I, didn't, I, I don't remember if the same stunt double was okay. or not, but okay. I just, I wanted, I, I checked, I was looking for his name for Dennis and I was sad at first. And then I realized that he wasn't the makeup artist. He was Mr. The, Russell. He was the in charge the of team. everybody. That's what I'm talking about. Yeah. Working his way up. Yep. That is one. That's really funny, dude. <laughs> I love that we keep coming back to that team. Okay. Is it time? I mean, I think it is. <laughs> Okay. So we have one more name on our list here, <laughs> and that name is Steven Seagal. Yeah. And Steven. Oh, Steven. Yeah. Born the, April 10th, 1952, to okay. Patricia and Samuel in Lansing, Michigan. Holy crap. He's 
72? He's up there. Almost. That's crazy. He's an actor. He's a musician. He's a martial artist, Joe. Yeah. Trifecta. Brother Seagal's got seven kids from four different relationships. (laughs) He was married to Kelly LeBrock. Yes, he was. Who plays Lisa, who is the woman that the two guys create in Weird Science. Yes. She's also in uh, Hard to Kill, I think, as his love interest. I think that's where they met. Yeah, I think it is. And she calls it Hard to Watch, (laughs) which is what like they interviewed her about it, and that's what she called the movie. I love that. I didn't come across that. Yeah. They got three kids together. That's crazy, dude. It's wild. He's got seven kids. He hosted season 16 Episode 18 of SNL. Have you read about this? I've heard that it is the worst episode and the cast hated. They hated him. It has been said that it was the worst host ever. When Nick Cage went to do his, I think in his monologue, he kind of jokes about being afraid that people think he's a jerk and the worst host. Uh And they kind of cut in with, no, no, you won't. That was Steven Seagal. <laughs> so they really disliked him. I, I, so quick aside here. This whole thing's going to be an aside. Yeah. But a quick aside <laughs> on that. I did see the bit where he's introducing Michael Bolton as a musical guest. Oh, man. And the way he just pronounces things. Like, he has a very weird cadence the way he's, he talks. Yeah. Like, a normal person would be like, ladies and gentlemen, Michael Bolton. Yeah. And he goes, ladies and gentlemen. Michael Bolton, like that. And it's like, <laughs> what are you even saying? Dude? Like, he's so uh, bizarre just he's in the so way he weird. communicates. Yes. Yeah, he's yeah. a very Across interesting individual. He appeared in this movie because of issues with his previous movie. The former Warner Bros. vice president, Bill Daly, has confirmed this. In 1994, Steven Seagal really, really wanted to direct a movie. Yes. It's called On Deadly Ground. Yes. They actually assigned a separate director to be the producer to try and make sure this thing didn't fail. Right. That's how unsure they were of him doing this. It was stipulated beforehand that any overages in the budget, he would have to pay out of his salary. So there were overages that were kind of expected and known, and those were approved, and that's fine. But if Steven Seagal went over in any other ways, he had to pay for it with what he was going to be paid for this movie. Makes sense. He ended up owing them his entire salary <laughs> he had so many overages that he owed them all of the money that he was supposed That's to be incredible. paying for this and the studio said okay you know what we're going to forgive you the overages under one condition you have to have a small role in this movie we're going to do called executive decision yeah so they kind of held him hostage yeah with his paycheck no, no by intended. saying you're going to yeah. be in this other movie it's fascinating to me that that's like how we got him because yeah when I saw this movie originally, because I think I saw this like back when it first came out. Yeah, it's pretty early for me too. And yeah. it was, oh, I can't believe they got Steven Seagal in this movie. Yeah. And I love now finding out. And I think that got revealed like a couple of years ago. Like yeah. finally what the story was. The funny thing to me about this is I also read he was enticed to accept the movie because of the salary. And he thought it would be interesting if what is supposed, not really the main character, but kind of the, the second character in the film died Halfway through it, which he essentially dies. He a was enticed later. by that. That's that's what it says. I However, don't I don't either. I don't believe it. I at think all. your it's 100% story is, is where accurate. they told him, "Listen, yeah. you're going to be in this movie, and we're killing you off." Exactly. There's no way Steven Seagal was willing to be killed off in this movie. Right. Every single other movie he's in, he has to be in charge, yeah. and he has to be the guy that's defeating everybody else. Exactly. And he can't really ever get injured. Like everything he's in, it's like he so quickly dispatches anyone yeah. that's fighting him, even if like. They're e- even if they're somewhat equal, like in Under Siege and Tommy Lee Jones, where they have a knife fight, it's like I think Tommy Lee gets like one little 
small slice on his cheek or something, and then he just completely just destroys Tommy Lee Jones. Yeah, no, so, he yeah. won't allow anything. I mean, according yeah. to John Leguizamo, whose name I is impossible for me to say, I always want to call him <laughs> Luigi because he was in that <laughs> Mario Brothers movie. So John yes. Luigi, apparently during <laughs> rehearsal, Seagal came on set and was telling everybody that like he's in command. I read this. Right? Yeah. yeah. I, all military style. Well, it's in, in Steven Seagal style. <laughs> Steven military Seagal style, military right? style. Right. And apparently John laughed at him and Seagal lost it and went, as I quote, all Taekwondo on him. <laughs> That's what John said. And just like knocked the wind out of him, like attacked him. Yeah. Yeah. And got so angry about it because yeah. they were laughing and he took it so, so seriously. Yeah. Yeah. That cracks me up. There's so much we could talk about here. This was really Seagal's, I think, last movie really of note he had some stuff that came after this like with uh i think he had a couple movies where like there were rappers that were like the glimmer man and this stuff that were like yeah but with then him. everything but else after that was like direct to direct video. to video like really low budget stuff and that's what he's been doing ever since and otherwise and he's been on some sh- i think he did one show where he was like a policeman or something in texas that actually did pretty well so did on it really? he did a show where he was like a with the sheriff's department I actually have to give him a little bit of credit. I haven't seen it, but from what I was reading, it was relatively well-received. And his big heart behind it was that he wanted people to see the good that was being done in the community by the sheriff's office Interesting. in Louisiana yeah. post-Katrina, which right. was really fascinating. But apparently that show was, was pretty well-received. It had the huh. largest opening episode, I think, for any show on A&E at the time. That's crazy. Yeah. And that's probably what? I mean, that's over a decade now. That was, that was no a while, yeah, ago. A while yeah. ago. Yeah, it was a while ago. Interesting. I didn't know that about yeah. that show. Um, I just remember it being, I mean, it was kind of always on in the like background, so to speak. Right. I was, well, you know, I was like, oh, this is just a joke. Yeah, a joke I, Honestly, yeah. at the beginning, I didn't believe he was actually on the force there. Right. But apparently he taught them martial arts <laughs> and marksmanship, which Incredible. I have not verified the yeah. accuracy of that information. Maybe I throwing just, knives or something. I came like. across <laughs> it, right. But apparently he worked with that sheriff's department enough where they asked him to kind of come on and be with them. Now, Interesting. who knows? The man is a pathological liar. He is yeah, known to that's lie the thing. and exaggerate things. Right. And I wouldn't be surprised if he's got people out there updating his Wikipedia page to make it sound As we better speak. or whatever. Yeah. 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 This is a Kurt Russell podcast. Obvi- First and this foremost. This is a Kurt Russell podcast with a Steven Seagal segment. This yes. Time. Like it's, it's incredible. I mean, he, he really arrived on the scene in, in the late eighties. He had a string of movies that were his most successful. That were three letter word movies. That was like the thing, Above the Law, Mark for Death, Out for Justice. On Deadly Ground was them attempting to keep within that kind of oh, frame to try to, because they thought there was something really effective in the marketing of that or titling or whatever, which sure. is hilarious to me. He really had his peak back in, again, early to mid-90s, probably early 90s with Under, Under Siege. That was really his kind of- That was his golden era. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Which is which is a good movie. Under Siege is pretty good. It, it is a good movie. Yeah. Yeah, it's uh, it's good in the sense of it's an action movie that you just watch because it's an action movie. Yeah, and it has Tommy Lee Jones in it, who's extremely overqualified for that, but he's the <laughs> bad guy, and it's like, what is happening here? Yeah, you know, it's like Philip Seymour Hoffman in uh, Mission Impossible Three. <laughs> They're just bringing in heavy hitters for these bad guys. There's so much of a conversation I had to be around this. The fact that he's only in it until like, he's 50 minutes in the movie. Yeah, he. He dies before the action really even starts. Right. You get one scene with him Which in the Which was shocking. When I saw it in the movie theaters, yes. I was shocked. And 
I've read that people cheered when it happened. <laughs> <laughs> like, it was like, woo! Yeah. Like, yes, we're so yeah. glad this happened. I remember when this came out, I th- so it would have been 96. I think I was in seventh grade. And I remember some friends of mine saw it in the theater. I don't think I saw it in the theater, but eventually had it on VHS, like pretty soon after it came out. Did you get it for $7 with your mom I think at Walmart? It, well, I think I did. I think the first time I saw it, though, I rented it at our local uh, VHS rental, rental place. Yeah. So, yeah. But I remember the kids that saw it in theater told me that that happened. And I was like, what? Are you kidding me? And I was a kid that, you know, I was watching Radar R movies sooner than I should have. So I think I'd seen Under Siege and some of his other stuff before that. And I was like, he's the man. I can't wait to see him kill all these bad guys. And they say he just like dies before the adventure really even Yeah, starts. I mean, it was shocking. Yeah, it you, is. It's you crazy. You really did expect him to be the main character in this movie, even though Chris yeah. Russell's name was like at the front yeah. of it. You expected... Steven Seagal to be throughout this entire movie yeah, you, doing all the actual action. Yeah, you thought he would be the one leading the yeah. action and Kurt would be there kind of as the intellectual or scientist or whatever he's, he's doing there, you know, yeah. analyst. I don't know. But I mean, he's a fascinating character. He's he's really the he, la- like his character's fascinating, or he oh, as an he individual is an individual is yeah. fascinating. Like he's he's become a bit of a unfortunately a laughing stock. It is like he's just it's like, not unfortunate that he's a laughing stock. It, he deserves all of it, it Joe. Yeah. No offense. <laughs> I hope to never meet him. I wouldn't want to meet him in a dark alley. I wouldn't that's, want to meet him. That's in a why I'm being tactful because I want to be I want to be careful. Because <laughs> he's not coming for us, Joe. Don't worry. It's it's. It's amazing. Just the the types of movies he started making after this, the the type of actor he was and that he was even as successful as he was for like a five-year run where it's just, he has this awkward, stiff way that he fights yes. and it's, but never gets hurt. The way he talks is really bizarre. Like this whisper talking, he had this ponytail. <laughs> yes. Like everything about him is such a bizarre persona and on-screen this, uh, this is a man whose opening line in his personal life section of Wikipedia is Seagal has an extensive sword collection. Not surprised. That's how it starts. Yeah. That's that's incredible <laughs> like, to me. Like so eccentric. He started out, he was a martial arts instructor, and there was a producer. I can't remember the producer's name, but the producer I think was in his class. Okay. And the producer thought there was some sort of charisma and likability in Seagal, and he thought he could he could be on screen. He could he could do something. But that's how he started. He was an actual like fascinating. Yeah, he was an actual like sensei or whatever. I will give credit where credit's due. Apparently, he has earned his various accolades and levels or whatever they're in martial called arts. in martial arts. Right. It does sound at least to some degree that that's yeah. all very legitimate. Yeah, so it, it does sound like it. Give him credit um, there. Oh my gosh, what what else is there to, to discuss here? I mean, it, it really uh, is kind of unending. Well, I mean, like, awkwardly, for the number of times he has played some form of U.S. Special Forces, yes, he apparently bleeds red in more ways than one, Joe. He incessantly <laughs> asked for Russian citizenship to the point where they finally gave in, and he got it in 2016. Incredible. He has said that he's 1 million percent Russian. A million he loves Russian. being a Russian citizen. Okay. He, he believes that he's friends with Putin, right? Okay. This may not have aged super well, but he's a huge Putin fan. Okay. Okay. And I think last year even got awarded some sort of Russian citizen award for his contributions to entertainment and all that. Wow. The, he's full Russian. So yeah. I don't really care a whole lot about Steven Seagal's opinion. <laughs> Here. But it's so weird to me that he played all these special forces people, but has been so interested in it. He apparently moved to Japan when he was like 22 years old, maybe even before that, maybe in his like late teens, early uh-huh. 20s. I didn't realize that, but he he lived in Japan for for quite some time. This stuff, like, he met it, his first wife. 
there's so much to mine here in terms of just like the ludicrous career, like who he is as a person, like how eccentric he is. He's the legal guardian of the 10th Panchen Lama. <laughs> like, and I think that's legitimate. I think it's verified. It's bizarre to me. Everything about this man's life. It's too much, Joe. It's too I, much. I've got another nugget for you okay. when it comes to the film industry. On Deadly Ground, as you mentioned earlier, was yeah. the first film he directed. I can't remember if it was his agent or a producer. He shows up to this man's door crying and okay. like on a random day he just shows up knocks on his door out of nowhere and he's crying and the guy says to steven as he opens his door he goes steven what's wrong and steven goes i just read the most beautiful screenplay i've ever read and the guy goes who wrote it and he goes i did like, <laughs> <laughs> and that was the script for on deadly ground oh, and this, which like, for those that don't know on deadly ground is this big environmentalist yes. style story where yeah. at the end of the movie he goes on this long monologue yeah. about it, and it's just universally panned of, yeah. of a movie. It's it pretty terrible. rough. Nobody likes it. It's pretty rough. Had some, I don't want to say heavy hitters, but some pretty notable people yeah. that at least turned into kind of heavy hitters. Billy Bob Thornton's in it, Marge Hellenberger from CSI. Yeah, it's crazy. Yeah, like it's got some pretty recognizable, Good for uh, them, notable, it didn't totally ruin their careers. Right, exactly, movie. exactly. Like it's, it really is incredible, man. Like he's, the fact that he's in this movie and the fact that he dies less yeah. than halfway into the film, the fact that he's going toe-to-toe for half of his scenes with Kurt Russell. Yeah. Probably in terms of the films he's done, that's probably the most like one-on-one, like legitimate actor interaction. I feel like you've seen with him besides Tommy Lee Jones, but they don't really have any screen time. Yeah, there, there's actually screen time. Right, here exactly. Yeah. I, I do think looking at this compared to Steven Seagal's other movies, granted, he doesn't say a lot in this film. He's only in half of it. It's some of the better acting I've seen from him. I was going to say, I actually, for the most part, like him in yeah, this movie. He's not bad. In it, it works like, relatively well. Yeah. Sometimes he gets a little bit too long of a leash in a scene. Yeah. And it, that's when he starts to kind of break down. Yeah. Whenever he gets short segments. Yeah. It's okay. It's like the less he says, the better. Yeah. Like it's, it's always whispery and understated. It's and that's so much just whispering. give him like a, a sentence and yeah. it's fine. Yeah. It's, it's incredible to me. And 13 year old me was blown away by the guy that was in all of these eighties and early nineties action movies and just kicking everyone's butt is just there to help a little bit. You see him getting a little action in the beginning and then he's just gone. Like, yeah, Cause it, it's, you, it's you knew at that time when this movie came out, it was well known that Steven Seagal really didn't share screen time or didn't right. share success. Right. In his movies. It, it had to be all about him. So it was right. mind blowing. It really felt right. like a pivoting point. And now we know it, it wasn't. He was just forced to do it because right. he had to get paid. Exactly. Exactly. Like <laughs> he, it's, owed the, he owed the money. It's so interesting to me. Like we're going on about this now for probably at least 20 minutes, but it is such a weird anomaly to me because there's not other movies that will market uh, a fairly, a pretty big figure in the industry and then kill them off so early in the film. There's other movies that like Scream did it yeah, with Drew, I, Drew Barrymore. Yeah, and I think they clearly enjoyed doing it. Yeah. <laughs> I think they were so frustrated with him that they enjoyed it. Yeah, I would not be surprised by that. Anything else on your list? Because you have a pretty good list there. Of, no, of I, we've hit we've hit the, the major points. Okay, yeah. okay. We probably talked about Steven Seagal enough at this point. We have. Without going into the plot, I mean, I will say again, Kurt's great in this movie. We'll talk more about this once we get into like the first act, but who he is, the character, all that. I think it's a great look for Kurt. I think it's an interesting performance by him that he's kind of going against type in this movie. 
that he's a little bit more buttoned up and he's not really the hero, the adventure type. He's uh, he almost feels like a political figure in some sense. And so it's interesting to see him explore that character. And uh, it's also amazing to see him talk about such a buttoned up character in the behind the scenes when he has this huge mane of hair right, just and a five really, o'clock really shadow. Hair, yeah. And he's always wearing like button up, unbuttoned top collar shirts that are kind of just draped on him. Yeah. He's just hanging out. like Because usually in those interviews, he's just coming off set yeah. from Escape from LA. Right, exactly. So he's exactly. had no sleep. Yes. And he's rolling in to do an interview. And he's just rolling in and he looks great. <laughs> yeah. Like he's, he's got that, the thick five o'clock shadow. And he's so personable too. All yes. his interviews, he's really good in Yeah, them. he's down to earth. The way he communicates like and talks about his character in the movie is so, he makes it understandable and relatable. Yeah. He just seems like a blue collar guy that ended up being a movie star. Yeah, totally. You know? Like he's so cool and relatable and down to earth. And again, it's why we're doing this podcast. Yeah. And so, yeah. That probably wraps up enough of Steven Seagal in production yeah. history, which could be the name of this episode. Yeah. Probably. But yeah, good stuff. Let's take a quick break, and then we'll come back to the actual plot of this film and talk about all that has in store for yeah. us. Yeah. No, a lot, a lot to get into yeah, there, Yeah, a lot too, to so get into. Good idea. Cool. Let's take a break. All right. Break time. All right. Welcome back, everybody. That was quite an intro <laughs> yeah. to this uh, this film, and I'm really ready to get into the plot here, the story. Yeah. And go ahead, bud. So first of all, we always do this. Kurt's role in this movie is mm-hmm. forefront. Kurt plays David Grant. Yep, good name. Yeah, the head of a civilian think tank that contracts for the military. Grant is called into action when an airplane is hijacked by terrorist Naji Hassan, yep. who Grant is the premier expert on. Right. Uh, he's a smart guy. He's gifted, but ultimately he's kind of an analyst, PhD kind of yeah. guy yeah. is what this is. So it's a kind yeah. of a different role, again, for Kurt. Another, yeah. We're seeing another angle to his abilities here. I think it's really cool that he's playing against type in this. Yeah. We're used to seeing him as Snake Plissken or in Big Trouble in China, kind of muscle-bound, very capable, and it's cool seeing him being in that role. Uh, yeah. Yeah, I like it. I mean, honestly, in many ways, this role for him kind of just felt like, is this just Kurt? I forgot the character's name. Yeah. And I just kept writing Kurt down. Yeah. So in one of his interviews, you've probably seen this one, but he says, compared to all the other roles he's done, at least up to that point, he was like, this one's actually probably the most like me. You know, I'm not as much of an action or adventure type. Like, I typically like to process things, think about them, talk with my team and people through them. We're just used to seeing him in such uh, uh, the light of the the main person on these kind of escapades or whatever. Uh, this movie's a little bit different, Joe. Yes. I think in TV, it's called a bottle episode yeah. where everything is kind of contained to a single set or a single scene, more right. or less. It's not quite as linear as other movies that we've right. looked at from Kurt at yep. this point. I think it kind of has a couple of different bottles. I've separated these out into yes. three things. Let's hear it. One is Hallie and the Terrorists. I like it. The other one is Kurt and the Commandos. I really like that. <laughs> and then and the last one is just old dudes in a conference room. Okay. okay. So <laughs> we're going to have these three groups throughout this movie, and their stories are playing out. Not 100% chronological. Like that's, yeah. The movie is moving along in that way. But we're kind of cutting back and forth and overlapping a little bit. Right. Really, the entire film takes place in what a what is it, a four and a half hour period? Something like something, that. Maybe, yeah. Something like that. And the the how they're kind of splicing the film up and you're seeing all these different perspectives from these different people in these different environments and how they spread that time out. You'll have scenes with the commandos on the plane that feel like, oh, they're doing this in what could take 20 minutes. It feels like it might take them like three. They squeeze yeah. a lot into it. But when they're in the situation room, you really feel like it is a pre 
pregnant like three minutes where they're really having to figure out right. what to do here. And so it's interesting, like you said, the way they split it up and you have those three different bottles, so to speak, and the way that over just a four-hour period, how you're sitting with them and how time you experience time yeah. during those periods. And so I've kind of broken it down in that way, honestly, into a couple different yep. general segments. Okay. You got this opening sequence where <laughs> Steven Seagal yes. and his commandos are kind of assaulting this place in Italy. And I just want to note, really strong music. Two things. First of all, yes, the music is great. Like, the score is really good, even though it is very much of the time. It feels like you're watching Air Force One yeah. or Under Siege or something like that. It's it's very much it has that kind of militaristic, presidential, orchestral yeah. you know, band. The, the computer typing coming on. Yes. My first question for you is, is this the most it's been done in any movie ever? I don't know if it's the most, but it's aggressive. <laughs> At the yes. beginning of the movie. It's, it's loud. It's the very loud. It is loud, and it's very aggressive. They are punching into your face yes. what is happening. I mean, what a way to streamline the start of a movie oh, yeah. and get things jump-started, which is to just type out exactly what's happening. It's like the opening crawl in Star Wars, except it's being typed. Right, like exactly. Right. That's a really good example. Right. Yeah, it's very similar um, to that. Every time we change like countries or scenes yes. or jump forward in time, it's like you're now in Algeria. Right. Or yeah, just, it like, just cuts it, to each thing that way. It, yeah. And they then it tights it again. Yeah. Well, and the opening scene in this thing is in Italy, but it, it that building could be anywhere. It could be in Florida. Yeah, it, it doesn't could be anywhere. look special. It could be anywhere. And it's just yeah. kind of the shot of a building that's nondescript <laughs> with green text on top yes. of it, which yes. is really funny. It's great. It's great. So we're opening up and there's this stolen Russian nerve toxin, DZ5 which is not a real thing, but mm-hmm. nerve toxins like that are pretty similar. It's based mm-hmm. off of like sarin gas and things like that. Yeah. Why in this scene, <laughs> Joe, are only half of his team wearing face paint? So Steven Seagal's commando team is coming in. They're in the bushes and they're waiting to attack. Yeah. And half of them are just shiny faces, all greased <laughs> sweaty up. Sweaty and greasy. Sweaty and greasy. <laughs> and the other half have face paint on. And I want to know Dennis, my man, what's the story here? You're in charge of makeup. Does he control that? Is this his decision or is it the director's decision? I don't know. Who writes it in? I would not be surprised if certain actors at that time had in their contract they could not have that makeup on. Oh, interesting. I would not be surprised. That could be. Especially someone like Steven Seagal. Yeah, it's for sure. Possibly him. John Leguizamo. But he does have He does have it on? Yeah, okay, he does okay. Have the paint okay. Because yeah. I was thinking at that time, like the more kind of powerful they were, more notoriety they, they had. They could work in there. Like, right. I, you have to see my face. Right, this, exactly. Yeah. Although yeah. I could definitely see John Leguizamo demanding it to kind of get into that cool factor. Yeah. He has a very yeah. like, oh, I, I want to be cool and I want to be funny in this yeah. movie vibe. Yes, he does. So I could see him wanting yes. to have it. Yeah, he's got a lot of good, uh, yes, one-liners. Yeah. 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 So anyways, they're they're in there. Yeah. There are a couple of guys, bad guys outside, and they've got to dispatch them. And we get our first Steven Seagal <laughs> dispatching of bad uh-huh. guys moments. Uh-huh. I've watched that scene now <laughs> probably six or seven times, Joe, because of what I'm calling the Seagal shuffle. I don't know if you noticed it. Okay. He walks up and it's like really close in, so you don't see it. And he's he kind of cuts the guy's throat. It goes more wide shot at one point where he has to go kill the second guy. It's brutal. And he does this shuffle. I know. That looks like somebody who has like hip dysplasia or something. Yeah, it's like rough, it's really dude. Like it hurts to walk kind of it's thing. Rough. And it's this like awkward shuffle. Yes. I just I I stopped, I paused, and I rewound like five yeah. or six times to catch I, it. I'm not I noticed the same thing. <laughs> okay. I'm it's glad. very awkward. He like Shuffles up to the guy, stabs him in the back of the neck, and, yeah. that's, and it's like three steps, but yeah, yes, it's yes. it's noticeable. Yes. And uh, as a side note to that, out of the Steven Seagal films I've seen, which I've, I've I haven't seen the director video stuff, but mainly his kind of hits from you know eighty seven to ninety six, or basically like this movie. I don't think we ever actually see him run 
and I think he's got a really awkward run. Oh, which is what's happening there. Interesting. I I don't think you ever see him jog or run. He's always we were talking about before this started, like yeah. just talking about Seamus Seagal. He's very stiff. Mm-hmm. And he's very like his movements are very quick and sharp, and you never see him actually exert energy to get from one point to another. Yeah, He's always right. at the back catcher coming towards him. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, yeah, I, I think there's definitely an awkwardness in his game. Yeah, yeah. It was yeah. really funny to me yeah. just to see that shuffle move yes. that he did. Yeah. So they they have to assault this house in Italy effectively. The house, it just screams drug lord or bad guy because yes. all that art is sitting out. I know. Which is your classic... Classic they move. always invest in art. <laughs> there's always just tons of art in these houses where there's like bad guys. <laughs> they're getting like Monet, Renoir, all this stuff. And it's like, okay, they're just big art snobs, big big art guys. <laughs> right? Yeah. So they, they, I don't know, they assault this house and they realize that, oh, the, the DZ5 is missing. It's, it's yeah. gone. And they lost one of the guys. One of the guys gets killed. That's right. I, I want to backpedal here for a second. The opening credits yeah. with the map. Yeah. Is this... One of the most hilarious pixelated maps you've ever seen in your life because it, when it starts to come on the screen, like I know this is older, like mid 90s computer graphics and everything, but it's rough, man. Like it's, it's really blurred out. And then when it finally comes into focus, it doesn't really look that much better. I will say this (laughs) about this entire movie anything that's on a computer screen in this movie does not look great. It looks like cheap CGI. Yeah, it's pretty aged. Gave me the vibe of like a video game. It does. It feels like a, like, oh, you're going on this mission and it's in Trieste, Italy. Yeah. No, I totally agree. It it, it had kind of an interesting vibe to the credits. Okay, so we then cut to David Grant, Kurt's character, in a small plane. It's clear that he's like learning to fly. Interesting, I think, that Kurt had his pilot license for like six years at this point, I think. Interesting. So okay. I'm sure he's flying that plane for real Capable. and landing it for real, honestly. That uh, wouldn't surprise me because they have that long shot where yeah. they're zooming into the plane and it's like it's actually him in there. All the plane shots impressive. in this movie, I think, are all real for the most part. They outside of like when things get destroyed or yeah. whatever. Yeah. So he's flying into some, you know, small field in Maryland, and I got in a deep dive about if it was the actual airport or not. Okay. It was actually an airport <laughs> in Los Angeles, which makes more sense. Yeah. Based on where yeah. we're filming it. But that's pretty much it. Basically, he's landing and a car shows up uh, and they do this yeah. epic flashback scene. Yes. Yes. There is a priest. I have this exact note. You do? Yes. yes. And it's incredible. I love it. There's a priest uh, with an RPG. It's incredible. <laughs> like, I was going to ask you, is this the coolest, most ridiculous, maybe one time, I, I don't think I've ever seen anything like it. I've never seen a priest holding a rocket launcher. Uh, I think twice, maybe. Like I don't you know. Said, it's I, it incredible. Was, it stuck out to me so yes. much. He just kind of like just pulls it out of nowhere. Yes. And who's he shooting it at? I don't know. I don't know. You never see it explode. It's no. just a cutscene of a priest shooting an RPG. It's fantastic. It's like I wish they could have just taken it further. Like give him a flamethrower. Give him like dynamite or something. Like right? <laughs> it's really really good. But that kind of sets up this whole movie. It's yeah. a pretty quick setup. It is. It gets us into the action yep. where we kind of get into the the hijacking aspect of it. Yes. Where these terrorists are kind of taking over yep. uh, a 747. There's a guy in a seat. You don't see his face. It's kind of this mysterious character. Yes. And this woman gets on there. And we've all been on a plane with somebody like this who just has too much stuff. And they're yes. dropping it dropping everywhere. Dropping stuff, yep. <laughs> she drops something on his little you know device that he's got. Uh-huh. And he just goes, stupid woman. Yeah. <laughs> 
And she goes, well, I'm sorry. I didn't do it on purpose. And it's an amazing scene. And I love it so much. It is really funny. Like, he's so mad. You're immediately meant to think, like, obviously, this is a bad guy. Yeah. You're, you're, you're supposed to think that. Yes. And it is pretty nice the way they do it, where they don't show the face. You just see the hands. Yeah. It feels a little bit like Mission Impossible-y there it for a second. Way, yeah. yeah. We kind of cut to a scene in a Marriott Hotel in London uh, where no terrorist shows up. He blows up the place. Basically, yep. it's kind of intended to just be. Oh, uh, yeah. The uh, restaurant they're attacking back yeah. because they've taken this terrorist. Yep. But the main plot point that happens next is this hijacking. Yep. The main bad guy, Naji Hassan. Mm-hmm. The whole point in this movie is that nobody really knows what this guy looks like. Right. right. Not even Kurt. Not even Kurt. Like he's the expert. But yeah, he he's the expert. He just knows yeah. his voice. That's yeah. the whole point. Why is he in a disguise? That's a great question. He's on his plane. He has his wig on. Yep. And like glasses and things. It makes yep. him look weird. It seems more suspicious to have a guy that's clearly wearing a disguise (laughs) than to just go on this flight because nobody knows what you look like. Great question. And it it serves no purpose in the rest of this movie. Does it add to the drama of the story at all, or do you think they just could have lost it? I think they could have lost it. The disguise plays no part in anything else the rest of the time. So I don't know. Maybe it was a plot point that just got dropped, but I thought it was really funny. In no way would he actually do that. There's absolutely no need. Right. So yeah, great observation. You're you're dead on. Yeah. (laughs) So they're on this plane, and the hijacking begins. I don't remember Halle Berry's character's name very well no i really see them as like halle berry and kurt Russell i do too that's exactly movie. how i read how i read it maybe because yeah. it's like the character that's most like him yeah and it also seems like it's kind of similar to probably how halle berry is in real life yeah and you're like eh, it's just them yeah it's just halle going berry. on an adventure yeah, that's together. Like when she was a flight attendant unfortunately <laughs> 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 hit it big <laughs> the dude blows open the door yep there's a youtube channel called 74 gear it's a guy who flies 747s okay and he watched this movie and oh. reviewed it he made a note he's like the terrorist at one point says don't mess around i'm a pilot yeah and this guy in this video says the most realistic thing about this is that like any pilot within the first 30 seconds of meeting them they're going to tell you they're a pilot <laughs> <laughs> he's like that's the most realistic thing about this entire scene that's really funny, dude. Really, like, like they do CrossFit or something. Like, right, by the yeah. way, I do CrossFit. So that's yeah, great. so he busts in there. It kind of takes over, takes over the plane at that point. It's crazy to me that he just has this little like explosive device that nobody is reacting to. This guy walking up to the cockpit door. Yep. There's no anything. one yelling. Nobody's There's no panicking. one waving anyone down. No one's even Nothing. looking confused. Yeah, they're they're just kind of sitting there watching it's, it go down. It takes like it's a solid like thirty seconds yeah. of him like getting his stuff together. I think you see the gun yelling. Nobody Nothing. Cares. Nothing. Yep. It's yeah. I noticed that too. That was pretty funny. Yeah. yeah. So then we cut to the American embassy. There's just a dude standing in the dark who answers in the most monotone voice ever. American embassy. (laughs) (laughs) That's it. Who is this guy? Why is he in the dark? Why is everything dark in this room? What phone gets called? It's so bizarre to me. (laughs) That's awesome. Yep, that's a good one. I didn't have that one in my notes, but that's really good. Yeah, the last thing I have about this whole hijacking part is that there's a passenger manifest and it says on it armed marshal yes for it's written there for anybody to see joe yeah like a, <laughs> what is what is the point of that yeah who would ever there's no way that's on a passenger manifest. i know again it's for a plot point armed air force marshal or whatever right. air marshal whatever it is which yeah. they get that point across anyways because that guy takes the gun you out see of it, it puts it in his sock and, and his, his id yeah yeah so like we know that he's there <laughs> yeah so then we cut to our man, David Grant. Two things I want to hit on. Thoughts on Kurt Russell in a tux. Oh, he looks sharp. He does look sharp. Real this sharp. is the only uh, film I think I've ever seen him in where he wears a tux. Okay. Looks really good. Yeah, it looks really great. Really good. Like, good cut on him. Where do we stand on the hair in this movie? The hair is excellent. It's really it's, nice, isn't it? It might be another hairstyle. Yeah. 
compared to all these movies so far. It is. At some point, yeah. we're going to run out of hairstyles, I'm sure. I know, I know. But we haven't yet. Yeah. It's sharp. Looks good. It it's does full, look, Very full. Even though he's like a buttoned up type of guy, he's pretty polished, pretty professional, doesn't get his hands dirty. It still says like, I'm not afraid to like install some cabinets in my house or something. Okay. Like he's still like, you know. I have no idea where you're going with that. I don't know. He's still like a little shaggy. Yeah. He still can like, you know, get out there and like shoot some hoop if he wants. He's or a relatable whatever. guy. He's relatable. Like it's, you know. It's I, like, okay. Yeah. I like where you're going with this. They don't overdo the, he's an analyst thing. Like a nerd. Yeah. yeah that's that's true. Nerd. Yeah. They don't over. That's true. Yeah. That's, it's, it's, yeah. It's a good way to put it. So they take him to the Pentagon. What I love in this scene is him walking and he's still in this tuxedo. When Seagal sees him, he just shakes his head and kind of mutters under oh, his breath. He's, it's whispering there. Yeah. Yeah, the with yeah. It's so, but it works really well. It, it does. works really well in that scene, and I love because Kurt's line back is, "It said, come as you are.'" Mm-hmm. The next thing we know, they're in this room, this in the briefing room, what I call the situation room. Yep. Right. Yep. Kurt's character describes like, "I don't think this is just a hijacking. There's something <laughs> right. more at play here." This DZ five, which has been captured, we kind of cut over to Steven Seagal, and it's clear that there's some beef between these two. Yes. Is probably on this plane, and they're probably going to blow it up and attack the U.S. in some way. Yep. We have to divert them or do something to stop right, it. Right, right. And he says a single drop would be more than enough to kill every man in this room. Yep. There are nine people in that room. Yep. <laughs> There's like nobody in this room. <laughs> so it's like, uh-oh, kill all nine of these guys. <laughs> That's a big time. Ooh. I'm just going to come out and say it. I think this movie is a bit of a precursor to The Rock. Yes, I have it written down. You have it written down. I have that exact Okay, okay, okay. Major vibes to The Rock. Yes. For sure. Exactly. And I think The Rock is a year later. Yeah, they're they're definitely uh, sharing some themes here. Yeah, and I'm into it. Yeah. Both great movies. Yeah, I I agree. I I love love them both. The Rock. It's really good. It's very good. So they introduced this Remora F-117X, which is based on a real F-117 aircraft. They go into a video call, which is amazing. The quality Uh, of this video call. I had a note on that too. Why do they need to do a video call? I don't know. But it's it's hilarious. Just throw another like techie thing in there yeah. to look cool. Yeah. <laughs> I love at the end of it too, the Secretary of Defense or whoever it is says, No one outside this room can know. Immediately after talking to a guy that wasn't in that room. <laughs> like and, and he's then, probably telling his coworkers. Right. And, and then you find out later that like below this room they're in is a bunch of analysts that are like that are listening yes. and communicating yes. with them. So there's all these people that know about this, <laughs> but nobody outside this room can know. <laughs> Steven Seagal's character recommends that they use this aircraft. This F-117X basically is an aircraft designed to connect with other military aircraft to exchange people back and forth. Mid-air. Mid-air. Yeah. Yeah. And so they're going to use it maybe outside of the normal use of this thing yeah. to connect to the 747. So they load up on this plane and just get going. Yep. Which is contextually makes sense. So Steven Seagal's character even says it. You're like, we don't have a lot of time. Yeah, we just it's, have to it's like eight hours. Yeah, we got to get right. on this thing and go. Right. Which I think plays well into the maybe lack of preparedness or whatever that you might see later in this movie is that that's, they kind that's of had true. To, they kind of rush this thing a little that's bit. That's true. Yep. The fact that they're able to squeeze a 10-person team into that plane, it seems like it's ludicrous. It's like, absolutely ludicrous. Yeah, like I'm fine with them deciding that there might be a version of this aircraft that's been modified in some way. Right. But you can't just hollow out an airplane and have nothing change. Right. Like the center of gravity is totally different. Yes. The center of lift is totally different. Yeah. All those things change. And all the way. You know what's inside yeah. that aircraft? All the stuff that makes it work. <laughs> like where are the engines and stuff now? They're just gone. Now I will say yeah. they actually made a, a full scale size version of it. And okay. interview Kurt talks about it. You could probably get it off the ground. He's like, I mean, it would crash. That's crazy. But you could actually get it going Interesting. fast enough. So they made something that size, but obviously not something that was airworthy. Right. So no, it's absolutely ridiculous. Yeah, it cracks me up, concept. dude. 
And they're, I mean, they're loaded up in there too. Like it, it really is like a. They're loaded up, and it's not crammed. They've got room no, to they walk got around. Room. And Steve's always like walking around, yeah, sitting in an open seat. <laughs> right, that's one point like, you yeah. got like, him and Kurt go in the back of this thing, yeah. and have a little conversation. There's yep. tons of space in this thing. Yeah, it, it's it's hilarious. Yeah, and it's it would like, be so loud in that thing. That's the other thing too. Like yeah. they they're on their headsets, and then when he sits next to Kurt Russell across from him, he takes his headset off, and they're just talking. Even and in Steven Seagal's whispery voice, yeah. they're just like. Yeah what went wrong with that plan or something? And it's just like, you're actually hearing it. Like that part cracks me up. Yeah, it's, it's hard like, to hear on a regular plane sometimes, yeah. little yeah. alone on this military aircraft. Yeah. It's not going to have a ton of, you know, sound dampening yes. outside. Yep. So I'd have another big question, which is, okay. how do they know the pressure, the exact pressure that's on the 747? Right. Hmm. They have to sync up with this thing. Yeah, the they have shroud to match it. connects to it. And they have to match the air pressure. Otherwise, if the air pressure on the 747 is, is higher than that on this smaller plane, all that air would just blow into this aircraft. Yeah. So we're just going to hand wave that a little bit. Yeah, yeah. That's, uh, a, that's a good point. What I love about this scene, too, is that uh, Cahill, he says, I can't just tell someone the procedure. I have to do it myself. Oh, right? yeah. And then the procedure, Joe, turns out to be waiting for a little green light to turn on yep. and then turning a handle. I know. He could have taught someone oh, yeah. that procedure. He could have done that. So once again, it's one of these things that you just need for the plot. Or, I well, like Steven Seagal's acting in that scene. I know. It actually kind of works. Like, he's a pretty good leader. It worked well he, in like, those scenes. He's authoritative. He's quick at decisions and solutions. Yeah. Like, it's, it's pretty good. It does work. Like, yeah. They connect to it. The people are going up into it. The sensor gets unhooked. The little clip comes out, yeah. and the light comes on in the cockpit. Imagine having a single light with no other. There's not. It's, around it's it. its own little light. It's, it's got its own segment. Yeah. Dead center on this yeah. board for yeah. this panel that probably is never open any yeah. other time. So they start going up into this thing. That's when you start to get the panic because Cappy gets hurt. Yes. And they have to get him up there. And I don't understand why Kurt's character starts to climb up the ladder. It yeah. doesn't make any. No, it doesn't. It's all. the only thing that I put together was when he sees that Cappy is like hanging there passed out. He's the only one that can see that Cappy is literally passed out and the other team can't even see him from the okay, top really. Sure. And so he's like, I have to help. But no, other than that, it doesn't make sense. Why wasn't the other commando guy or Steven Seagal? Like, there, and there's right two there? other guys I know. that are on the plane at the end exactly. of this, too. None of them are doing anything. They're no, just kind of sitting no. in their seats. Just sitting there. He gets up there, and this is the scene, Joe. This is what we've, <laughs> we've been waiting for this entire time. <laughs> Steven Seagal's character starts climbing up this thing. Yep. There's all this panic. The shroud is going to break. They can't keep the seal. Yep. Kurt's character looks at and says, we're not going to make it. And Steven yep. Seagal says, you are. And he closes it, closes yep. the hatch just in time as the shroud Burst into a million pieces, yep. and his little body—you see his body tumble like out of this flip thing. and tumble yeah. out into the, and the again, air. Again, that's why I think that they wanted to do this to Steven Seagal. They wanted to show <laughs> his character just tumbling out of this thing as payback uh -huh. for messing up that other for movie. For messing up the movie. I always remember. So when I had this as a kid, the first time I watched it, it was shocking to me because they killed Steven Seagal. Yeah. Second of all, every time I watched it. I found it pretty impactful. Uh, the other two commandos that are on the plane die. And it's yeah. like, it's, it's, it stinks. I remember as a kid being like, man, that stinks. It was like you had all these guys ready to go and only half of them make it. Right. Like a lot of other movies, with those being the good guys, maybe they would have closed the hatch right before all of them got in there. And then the guy on the stealth might have died. Yeah. But they really took a big swing with like sacrificing, yeah. not and half, the, but a few people on the team. Plot-wise, they kind of needed to because they needed to have the situation where Kurt's character has to step up to the yeah, plate. Yeah, that's, that's so true. So I, I like it, but you're right. It was yeah. a big move to kill off all yeah. those characters suddenly it's, like that. It's pretty bold, especially halfway into the movie, yeah. like after you've gotten to know the team a little bit. So we go from there, and there is stuff happening 
on the 747, it's kind of incidental. It's just kind of setting up the relationships between Halle Berry's character and the terrorist and the overall (laughs) vibe of what's going on up there. The other thing I have to note here is that everybody keeps calling Cahill fat. Oh, yeah. And at one point, Cahill panics, <laughs> and he's like, we got to go up and negotiate. And they stop him, and John Guisano's character puts a knife through his throat and says, you're not going anywhere, fat boy. <laughs> and it's like, what? i got to keep digging on Cahill. Cahill isn't even that fat in this movie. I know. They keep calling him fat for this entire movie. There's got to be someone they pick on as a group. They're all, they are all got to vent out their frustrations somehow. Right. And so, they're just, yeah, they are, man. They're letting him have it oh, they the keep, whole time. They keep digging on yeah, him. Yeah, they do. They do. This hasn't gone the way they need it to. They don't have a SATCOM. They have no way of contacting the Pentagon. Mm-hmm. But what they do have are these little cameras. And it's such a vivid memory for me, Joe, from seeing this movie for the first time. I loved it. Where well, they have to drill through the floor. Yeah. They almost hit that guy's it's, shoe. Yes. I mean, it's burned into my it brain. It does stick with you. And those little yeah. like cameras kind of like warming up, up there, and like, yeah. looking around. Yep. It's very evocative. I, and it, I think it really adds to the movie to have that weird wide angle. Yes. Especially when they're like interacting with people like Halle Berry and you can see her talking to the camera and all that stuff. It's yeah. a whole nother way of communication and a whole nother, I don't know. It immerses tool. you into the moment. That's true. Pretty well, yeah. I yeah. think. It does. It does. I'm right there with you, man. When those drills coming up through the floor and the ceiling, something about that stuck with me too. Like I remember as a kid being like, why is that so cool? Yeah, it's like, so cool. It's not the same level, but it reminds me in Jurassic Park when they do that slow zoom in on the cup and the water. Like just a yeah, little yeah, small yeah. thing that they mm-hmm. zoom in on to see the effect of it. It's it's really interesting. And so, yeah. Kurt has to be there to kind of listen for voices because the whole point is that he knows the voice of yes. the bad guy. Yeah. And he would know him when he sees him, I guess. Yeah. So why not? Halle Berry's character goes down. She finds... Mm-hmm. Um, her friend. Mm-hmm. She comes back up later and she knocks his stuff down and his like Quran <sighs> falls out and this little piece of paper falls out of it. Dude, that part to me is <laughs> unbelievable. It's cartoonish. He's head of this right. terrorist group. Right. He has the plan. Uh-huh. He's the only one that knows about this full-fledged plan. Right. He ha- has it in his jacket, which he hangs on a hook. Right. Like he's like lounging in his living room. Yeah. And, and what yeah. is it for? It's got circles, like a radar screen, and it's yeah. got an arrow pointing to Washington, D.C. It's, yes. And that's it. It's like, oh, the whole plan's written down here. Why would he have that? It's extremely It's not cartoony. helping him in any way, shape, or form. No. Doesn't. It doesn't tell you anything more. You already no. know this is happening. No. You know exactly where the plane's going. Eventually, like, that is their mission to get the bomb. There right. Or whatever. And so, yeah, it doesn't help anything. I don't even know if it would help Halle Berry's character, unless that character could read the other language that's written on it yeah. and that guy is so suspicious of everything yeah and he just kind of rolls with it he's just like oh okay he well. catches her like four or five times i feel right. like doing something weird yeah and, and he, he always he just really warns her, go. her anything suspicious and there will be yeah. repercussions and then she's super suspicious the rest of the movie yeah and does nothing about does it. nothing about it he doesn't even like subdue her like tie her up or something no, nothing. And it's nothing at all he just lets it yeah. go yeah they find the bomb there's a lot of this dz5 in there if one drop can kill nine people joe let's assume it can kill 25 people there's 75,000 drops in a gallon. That means one gallon can kill 1.875 million people, right? So you need about 32 gallons of this stuff okay. to kill half the eastern seaboard. Right. Looks like maybe there's 12 of these canisters. So yep. I don't know. Might be enough in there. Yeah. Could I mean, be. there's there's a lot of it. Yeah. Like, there's quite a bit of canisters yeah, there. But they do say in the rock, one teaspoon of this hits the floor. It can kill everyone within like a 50 foot or 100 foot radius or something. But then he says one teaspoon of this detonated in the atmosphere you're talking like 
takes out like 50 city blocks or something. And I still don't know that I actually think that's legitimate. <laughs> yeah, I know. Because if it's know. in the atmosphere, at some point it's going to disperse by the time it gets down that's true. to the public. That's true. Where it's kind of no longer... Like ineffective or whatever. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Again, really strong vibes from The Rock it, 100%. Yeah. And so he mentions DZ5 isn't binary canisters, which is a real thing. Basically, mm. it's a device that mixes two agents like together yeah. to become dangerous. And what does that remind you of, Joe? You had to say it. Yeah. Well, Die Hard 3. Die Hard 3. Yep. Similar kind of thing to the bombs in that movie. I love Die Hard 3. Mm-hmm. My opinion, one of the most underrated action movies of all time. And that scene in Die Hard 3, when they mix it together uh-huh. and the nerd, you're the, you look really excited uh, yeah. to, to listen to me excited. explain this right now. Yeah, because I can but, see it. But the scene in Die Hard 3 where John McClane is in the room, Samuel Jackson's in there, all the cops are in there, and the bomb nerd comes in. He's like, very cool stuff. Yeah. And he's like, it's like epoxy. He mix it together, and he puts it on a paper clip. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and he like mixes like a, a pinhead of That's it together. So little of it. And he's like, uh, you want to move that away from the door? And he throws it out into like the middle of the police, whatever bullpen and explodes a chair Yeah, and a woman freaks out yeah. <laughs> and it's basically like a gun goes off. Yeah. It's crazy. And they're all, all the cops are like one hundred thousand gallons of that. Yeah, no right. one's like tackling him or like, yeah. like yeah. it's so good. Man, Die Hard three is so good. Anyway. Yeah. Great. Yeah. That's, I didn't realize it was like a binary though. I didn't realize that. Yeah. That that's was what like they the, say in there. He, the, he mentions the that Cappy says it. And so I had to look it up. So okay. it's binary where it mix it together, oh, which yeah. I then did deep yeah. dive. And that's how nerve toxins work often. Cause it's safer to transport it. Safer Interesting. To, safer to make it in huh. the first place. Cause you can transport those two things separately and then you can mix them together whenever you actually need it. That's very interesting. So it's pretty cool. He also mentions there's 16 pounds of Semtex on this thing. Semtex is what brought down the 747 over Lockerbie. It was the Pan Am 103 back in 1998. Yes. 1988. Yeah. It was a big deal. Yeah. On that flight, they used 340 grams of oh, Semtex geez. to bring that plane down. So this bomb <sighs> is 20 times more powerful than that one was. Oh my gosh. So okay. 16 pounds of Semtex and 32 gallons, we'll say, of DZ5. <laughs> like, oh this gosh. bomb is over the top. Yeah, that's insane. Yeah. Yeah, okay. And what kills me about it is this bomb is so complex. Yes, it is. A ton of complexity of this bomb. It is. Where the whole point is they're going to blow it up anyways. It's not like it's a bomb that sets somewhere they're expecting somebody to try and defuse right. it. Right, that's the thing so about it So why is it me. so complex? Yeah, there's like, what, what do they say? There's like three backups. There's like fail-safes. There's a bunch of fail-safes. Yeah, there's, there's like, like a lasers. Fake, yeah, there's like, lasers oh, at one yeah, point. There's, yeah. like, there's like a dome in the middle of this yeah. thing that they had to break into, and it's like yeah. cooled in some way. Yeah. There's laser it's, beams. There's some weird... The cylinder thing? Cylinder silver, yeah. like two points that will come together at some yes. point. It's, it's crazy. It is overly complicated. It, it is overly complicated, and it it, it cracks me up because it's just again, it's just there for the drama of the story. Like if it was right. more of a standard. Why, bomb. why is there this guy that could set this bomb off at any time? Are they expecting at some point that someone's going to come in here to try and stop them? It doesn't make any sense for this bomb right. to be this complicated. Right. It's it's very 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 overly complex. But it adds yeah. to the movie. The for tension. Me, and it's all about the it, tension. It sticks in my brain so much. Yeah. One of the way the reasons this film really works is because of the tension. Yeah. Like, I don't think I've ever seen a movie where people have whispered so much. They have to remain very discreet. Uh, There's so many quick decisions they have to make as they're like whispering and sweating and cramped. The entire film does a really good job of making the two hours and 10 minutes, I think, runtime go by very quickly, not just because of the action, because there's really not a lot of action in it. You are in this environment and you you're like 
tense just watching it. And right. I think it makes the time go by fast because you're constantly trying to figure out like what they're going to do. Well, and there's yourself. nowhere to run for these people. This is right. a movie where there's a lot of right. space. If they get found out, they can't go anywhere. It's over. They've yeah. nowhere to go. Right. No, I agree. It's really, really good in that, that sense. The whole thing's tense. Yeah. Yep. When you cut back to the situation room, they're getting way too close to the actual border of the U.S. Yeah, they're getting really so close. They're, they're making this decision now that we might have to shoot this thing down. Yep. They activate uh, a whole squadron of F-14s, right? And yep. it's a real squadron. It's called the Jolly Rogers. Saw that. They yeah. have the skull and crossbones on the tails of the F-14s. It's At this point now, it's Strike, Strike Fighter Squadron 103. In the mm. movie, it was uh, 84. Uh, it's actually the last film that Squadron got to appear in, which yeah. is really, really cool. Yeah, it's really neat. There's a mixture of bomb diffusing and prepping for this new assault the team's going to have to do. Mm -hmm. And that's where we get Kurt's character kind of entering in the, the fray completely at this point. He's been kind of leading the team. Yeah. Kind of directing the yes. strategy and how to approach this next mission yes. and what we have to do next. That's when they're like, you know, we need another gun. We don't have enough yep. people to yep. do this. Kurt just looks up at them and says, what do you want me to do? Yep. It's a good scene. It is a really good scene. If I'm not mistaken, I think they give him a shotgun. It looks like a shotgun. It looks like a shotgun. I don't, I don't know what it is, but they basically tell him, like, yeah, just point and click. It's hard to miss with this thing. Yeah, okay, is that I, what it is? Yes, and I think it is a shotgun, but it's very interesting to me that on a very close quarter, mid-flight 747, they're giving the guy with the least experience a shotgun in order to take out... I don't know. That makes sense to me. Does it really? Shotguns are good close quarters. You can move them around easily. Uh-huh. And it's got the whole spread to actually do damage. I could see it being something where if you hit like a wall or something, it may not be enough to totally destroy it. That's a, that's a fair point. Shotguns aren't necessarily going to penetrate a wall. Yeah, that's so a fair point. Maybe I, it's a very tactical decision. I don't know. I hadn't yeah. thought about it, but I can yeah. see it being reasonable. Now, what my issue is that later on in the movie, he has a silenced pistol. So I guess he yep. just steals that from one of the guys yeah, just takes to go it. do his thing. Yeah, just takes it. Yeah. yeah, cracks me up. Cracks me up. Yeah. Then they're doing this whole thing where they're trying to figure out where the, the trigger man is. They get a camera. They call Halle Berry on the phone. Mm -hmm. She gets a feel for who this might be. She sees a guy that has a device and he's kind of really concerned about it. Yeah. What's crazy to me is they just trust that the first person she finds that could be the guy yeah. is the guy. I really like this scene too because she writes down the seat number on her hand and she has to show it to the camera. And whenever they finally see it, Kurt and the other guy are like, two, one, K? <gasps> 21K. Yeah, together. Yeah, it's great. <laughs> it's such a funny it's, little scene. It's so funny. Like moments like that, like that's obviously that's there for not comedic effect, but just some more extra kind of interaction between the characters. Right. And it's like, like you're saying, there's no way they would see that and have to figure it out. Like, right. They would just say 21K. It's the seat. Go. But they look at like, 21K. <laughs> it's 21K. <laughs> but it is a really fun moment where like Kurt's character and this commando have bonded yes. over the problem solving they've done so yes. far. And there's. Yeah. You're almost waiting for like a high five to come yeah, out. Yeah, you're point. almost waiting for that. Yeah, yeah. We then cut to Kurt and Cahill dealing with this bomb because Cappy's unconscious and they're like, okay, we have to still try and defuse this thing before we go and assault. What's bonkers to me is they just take wires and they're about to cut them. Yeah. Are they insane? Neither of them <laughs> know how to defuse a bomb. I know, I know. And they're just like, I, it's probably this one. I guess so. And Kurt's character is just like, all right, let's do it. It's it's great. There's a attempt to explain it where Kurt's like, look, he's a, he's an engineer. If he can build a computer, surely he might be able to take one apart. Yes. And it's like, so we're going to trust him with an extremely complicated yeah. bomb. This isn't just a computer he's taking apart. <laughs> it's one of the most complicated bombs ever built. And he's just going to somehow find a way to just take it apart. 
meanwhile, the guy who is here to defuse the bomb is terrified of this thing because of how complicated it is. Yes. Yeah, Cahill can get it. Yeah, he'll be fine. I do love Kurt's, you know, utter trust in Cahill. Yeah. I feel like they probably became good friends. That's at the end true. Of this. He is very trusting of him and yeah. like in his abilities. Mm-hmm. And like, yeah, that's a very good point. He he thinks he's like just the just, just the best. What I love about it too is that <laughs> they get to a point where these F-14s come up. They're trying to get the plane to divert, and they're not going to divert, and so they have to move into position. That's where we get the line from this movie where the Secretary of Defense says, call the president. This is now an executive decision. Mm-hmm. And there's a scene where Kurt and this other commando have cut into the taillights yes. of this aircraft, which my yep. favorite part of this is they just cut a bunch of wires yep. and start smacking them against yeah. each other, <laughs> which I would assume would make every light on that plane or would make multiple other things in that plane just kind of wig out. But apparently Fritz. all those cables together just lead to those, t- just lead to those two taillights. <laughs> so they're kind of, they're kind of doing Morse code inside yeah. and they get the attention of yep. the guys, uh, the pilots in the F-14. What I love is the plane locks on yep. and it just says shoot in big letters. Yeah. And I'm pretty sure it's that pretty in cartoony. the real F-14, it doesn't say shoot. <laughs> I'm pretty sure they know that when they get locked, they can fire this thing. <laughs> they are basically doing Morse code, and yes. the Navy pilot sees it, translates it back. Go that ahead. part cracks me up. Yeah. The Morse code, we'll say it's like they've been hitting it for 30 seconds. Sure. Okay? Yes. I don't know Morse code. The pilot notices it, yeah. and he's like, I'm a little rusty. And he's on the phone with the situation room. He goes, I'm a little rusty, but I think it says, Team Alpha 1, 10 minutes. And it's like... You're telling me they communicated all that in like five seconds? Oh, it'd be so much. That would take like, I mean, again, just from the little bit I've read, I would think that would take at least 30 seconds just to absorb that information. It would take you at least 30 <laughs> seconds to be like, oh, these lights are flashing. What could that possibly it, mean? Exactly. Oh, wait a minute. There's some longer pauses and shorter pauses. Yeah. Oh, oh, that's kind of Morse code. Yeah, there uh-huh. would be a whole process yeah, of whole talking thing. about it. And I could agree that they would say, the taillights are flashing. Maybe they're telling us something. Right. Okay, give it a minute. But he right. figures out it's Morse code, and it's this long message <laughs> after the fact. <laughs> so now we know this team has a little bit of time left to mm-hmm. finish this plan. Mm-hmm. We've got 10 minutes to do this, and we enter into the assault and landing portion of this movie. Yes, the timelines sync up again. Yep. The, all the characters are kind of merging together in yes. this movie finally. Yep. And Kurt goes rogue. I, I have a lot of questions about Please. this. Okay. He is told they're going to need more than five minutes. And he says, do the best you can. The rest of the team is going to their positions to launch their assault. Yeah. He realizes that someone needs to find the trigger man. Someone needs to eliminate him. Instead of telling the team, like, at least telling them, I'm going to get the trigger man. I'm going to find him. He decides, like you just said, to go rogue, Uh to go up there, change shirts, when does he do that? I don't know. When does she, he put that sweatshirt on? I don't know. When does he slick his hair back? I don't know. His hair is crazy wet. He changes shirts. I almost wonder if there's a deleted scene. There has to the, be. Because like, there's, there's something that happens in there. And he goes up the elevator with Halle Berry, yeah. holding her hostage. I think he's just using her to as hide a shield, as a gun. Hi- right, right, okay. Well, well, fair enough. But again, no need for that. Nobody else is going to be like, oh, there's a guy walking with her. Because people, right. passengers can go to the bathroom right now. 
this guy could just be walking back to his seat. True. Yeah, he could just he, be walking way around. They're too suspicious about yeah. this. They're drawing way yeah. more attention to themselves right. right now. There's no need to put her in harm's way. Just tell her to stay there. He surprises the rest of his team when he sh- they're, they're all like, what's he doing? He's on the plane. What is he doing? Yeah. And then they're in the situation where they like have to respond to him right. and follow his lead. I just don't understand the logic. The it logic doesn't I don't make get any it. sense. It makes perfect sense that you could send a civilian up there to pose as a passenger to sure. get some more information. I'd right. buy that. Sure. Right. Why not? It doesn't make any sense why he would just go rogue with a silence pistol. No. Assuming that he's going to take out this trigger man. Right. Leading up to this. He's unsure of even being able to like be a right. part of this assault. Right. And then all of a sudden he's gone John McClane. Rogue, John McClane yeah. style. Yeah. And he's gonna take this guy out. And yeah. of course, when he finally gets to the seat, he looks and it's just this dude with a little packet of diamonds. Yeah, that's it. Just a, like a million dollars in diamonds. Yeah. Just in his little eyeglasses. <laughs> no case explanation or about that either. Why yeah. has this guy got all these diamonds dude on? Dude, a bunch of diamonds. I hope he declared those things because you hope. have to. So, yeah. yeah. Why did he do this? I have I absolutely don't know. no idea. It makes no sense. And of course, it's the wrong guy. Yep. So then now he's created this bigger panic situation. Far fetched. But what he could be trying to do is say, I'm going to circumvent the team, John Leguizamo and the team, and I'm going to have to get in there without them noticing me because if they know I'm going in, they're going to come in at the same time because they don't trust me. So I have to get in there before my team gets in there to take out the trigger man on my own and then they can come in. And but that's such a leap well, in logic. I'll buy it only for the sense that maybe he knows that they're probably not going to defuse the bomb and he's the only one with that information because he didn't right. pass it along and he knows if he passes it along, they might just go in. Just hot. go for it. It still yep. doesn't make any sense though. You would right. trust in these commandos to make the best decision. Right, exactly. It, it doesn't, it's it's really a leap. It's like, a total leap and it's only a plot point to have this whole scene go down. Go, like yeah, it. like yeah. it's it's an action moment for Kurt Russell. Yeah. They want to see him come in and like, he has to, in panic mode, find the other guy. There's a lot of drama. Everyone's jumping around, and he like has these struggles with the guy or whatever. But yeah. yeah, what also doesn't make sense is that this sleeper has to put in like a 20-digit code yes. to make this bomb go off. Yeah. I feel like they probably would have just made a, a trigger that just goes kaboom. Boom. Yeah, <laughs> but exactly. No, no, it's a 20-digit passcode. Yeah. This thing could pass any current password yeah. test. But given how complex that bomb is, it doesn't surprise me. I guess not. <laughs> yeah, I think I think the bomb maker just has this desire to make the most He's complicated like things guy. ever. They He's hire Goldberg. me like, come on, man. Like, could you make something a little bit more Dial straightforward? Like, no, 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 no. This is going to be my masterwork. <laughs> so he realizes it's the wrong guy. And then he's got to jump over some seats. He starts shooting in this airplane. Yeah. He just yells at people, everybody down! And yeah. he just takes a shot at this guy. Yeah. Lucky for Kurt that he just happens to be in the same section of the plane. As the trigger man. Right. Yeah. Otherwise, yep. the whole thing's done. Like it could have been anywhere. Yeah, it yep. could have been anywhere. And yep. so he gets him. He jumps over. They start to wrestle for this thing. He gets his foot stuck in a cart of some kind. Yeah, it's weird. It doesn't they, make any they're sense. They're really playing that up. They're it's just like, like yeah. making every possible problem come yeah. up here. yeah. Cahill uses his little magic the wand, straw. the straw yep. in his mouth. They cut back to the wrestling some more, and he punches in the code and hits, you know, activate, and Kurt sees <laughs> that uh, it's been detonated. What yes. I love about the device is that it, it says detonating on yeah. it. Yeah, like, it just keeps beeping detonating. Like, why is that necessary? <laughs> if it's detonating, that thing is gone at this point after 16 pounds that of That is a great moment, off. yeah. The commandos come in at this point. They realize what Kurt is doing, and they enter into the scene and start shooting all the other bad yeah, guys. Yeah. One finally gets some shots off, shoots the hull, blows out the side yes. of this aircraft, and that yep. whole row gets Flies out. sucked right out, Yeah, which is terrifying. It's terrifying and sad. That always, like, for yeah. some reason in movies like this, when when people get sucked out, yeah. it's 
for just terrifying. It's disturbing. It is. It's like they can't do anything. They're innocent people. Yeah. And they just got sucked out. They're five miles in the air. They're just going to be... I don't even want to think about it. I also noted that there are so many napkins inside this plane, <laughs> Joe. So many. It's like I'm there's so a glad of you napkins just getting sucked out of the plane somewhere. I'm so glad you're talking about there's this. There's just right stuff now. everywhere. Yeah. A couple people take some hits in this scene. Yeah. Right? The air marshal. Yeah, right? he takes two to the chest. He takes two. Somehow the rest of the passengers, other than the ones that got sucked out, don't seem to be They're impacted fine. by any of this gunfire yeah, magically. I just can't imagine, Joe, that they would give them permission to land at Dulles, regardless of the fact that they regain control of this airplane. Hmm. Right? You know that there is a bomb on here yeah. that is full of nerve toxins. And, and still potential terrorists that might not have been eliminated. Yeah, or you don't know what's yeah, going on. You don't know what's They're going on. They're not going to yeah. send that plane to Dulles. Yeah, that's like, true. Oh, we're running out of fuel. Like, sure, you're running out of fuel, but you're going to have to go to an airbase. You're going to go somewhere else. Just circle for a little bit at least. Yeah, you can't land at yeah. Dulles in yeah. Washington with yeah. this stuff. Nassan, uh, Hassan shoots the two pilots through the door. Yeah, takes he just them sprays. Right, which I always thought as a kid was sad. Like, I, I just hate moments yeah, like that. Yeah, you go the pilots because yeah. they've done all this stuff up to yeah, this point. They're being, they're they've been dead. great. They've been and like, they have to be for the plot reasons. Yeah, exactly. But uh, that's a really sad part. It sucks. We're lucky because it kills the pilots. It shoots a couple of important screens, and it hits nothing else yep. in the cockpit. Yep. So Kurt has to take control. Yep. He's figuring out, like, oh, flaps. What is my airspeed? I need to, you know, go through this landing procedure with Halle Berry. Yep. Halle Berry never would have found that information that quickly. That's what I was going to, like, she's just in that giant phone book yeah. size thing, just finds it within five seconds. Right. He's yeah. like, oh, standard landing procedures, <laughs> you know, and she just finds it instantaneously. <laughs> as many flaps as you want. Yeah. And so they're going to land this thing, and he, Kurt is trying to control this aircraft. It's really good, dude. It's a really funny that, scene. Everything with him could trying to control that plane yeah. in the midst of all the chaos and everything that's happened around them always cracked me up. He's yeah. a, even as a kid, his facial expressions yeah. and like trying to manage that whole thing. It, it's hilarious. What I me. like about it is that I think he probably tapped in to being an actual pilot a little yeah. bit here. And he did go to a 747 simulator. So he went and trained on this scenario basically is my understanding. Yeah. I think he's that's probably crazy. really tying into what he has experienced as a pilot and the kind of fear that you would have yeah. as a general aviation pilot yep. <laughs> behind the seat of a yep. 747 Ooh, having crazy. to land this thing. That's crazy, dude. So they're coming in hot to the airport and the two firefighters yes. that are there. It's a really, it, it, really funny scene. Really good moment. <laughs> what do they say? It flies by and they're like, what? Or something? Yeah, the guy's <laughs> like, what the heck? And the other guy just goes, oh, he's way too high. <laughs> he just blows over the top of this yeah. airport. Boom. So they've got to land this thing, and he just hits the ground hard. Yes. But he lands it. He does. And he as pulls they're coming up. in, yeah. there's that really classic line from Halle Berry where he's like, what am I forgetting? What am I forgetting? And yes. she just yells at him, just fly the plane. Just fly the plane. Yeah, that's a great moment. There's a very, very specific point at which he's trying to slow the plane down, and he's gradually slowing down, and he's getting like more confident, Yeah, and he's like, Okay, okay, trying to get 140, 170, 160, 150, 140, 130, 120. Yeah. And he's like, his his transformation going from confident to like, uh, yeah, like yeah. it's, it's, I don't want, that has always been so funny to me. Like his, his confidence to franticness in yeah. like three seconds. No, he does it so well. He does it really well. It's, a really, like it's actually so a really, really good scene. Yes, it is. Him flying this thing. And of course, the yeah. Mythbusters tested this too to see if you could teach someone through a landing of a jet like that's this. That's crazy. And it it's possible, right? I think Kurt says in an interview, he's like, I don't know, 50-50 as far as the odds of being able to do it. <laughs> okay, okay. So okay, cool. It's, it's, it's kind of legit. 
That's crazy, man. Yeah. That's really cool. He lands this thing, taking out every light on the runway and every small plane every on the plane. way. He yes. blows past the end of it. They hit this big dirt pile yep. and come to a screeching halt. At one point, the engine gets exploded oh, off yeah. of this thing. Yeah. I feel like if you exploded an engine, it's going to get a lot worse from there. <laughs> like, the wing is, like, kind of on fire at this point, <laughs> and they just kind of keep going. And then yep. everybody is just chill after the fact. Yeah. They're all just milling about right next to the plane, Joe. Yeah. The wing is on fire. I know. That is where the fuel is, Joe, okay? <laughs> they wouldn't just be hanging out next to this thing. Uh-huh. They'd be running away as fast as yep. possible from this airplane. Vehicles Those, show up, uh, right? Emergency, whatever. Yeah. My favorite part is that there's just this little tiny bomb uh, bomb squad truck that shows up. <laughs> like <laughs> They would never... <laughs> Never move that bomb off of this plane <laughs> with all of those people there. They would get the people as far away as possible. Yep. They'd bring in some crew to try and yeah. defuse it more or whatever. Yeah. But they wouldn't just all be hanging out. And they like close the door and someone like pats the back of it and off they go yeah. with this extremely dangerous bomb <laughs> in the back. It's absurd. There would be so many vehicles there, so yeah. many, so much personnel yeah. for days out there organizing the chaos of right. it and just like everything like they really compact it into a uh there's like a couple of guys showing up uh get them out here we'll be fine it's yeah. okay yeah it's it's a great 90s action movie ending sequence right everything's fine yeah we're, we're good it's like yeah. uh we landed the action's kind of done let's yeah. let's call it a day it's everything's all smiley yeah, and everything. yeah. <laughs> so they so they're they're done they've landed they're kind of getting the Marshall into an ambulance. He's like, yeah. where do those commandos even come from? <laughs> he's got he's got two bullets in it. Yeah, right in the right in the abdomen. Yeah, right in there. And he's fine. He's, he's like just like, breathing heavy. Where'd they even come from? He's like casually talking. Yeah, like like he just got, got the wind guy. knocked out of him. Or something. <laughs> yeah, it's like they could have at least like shot him in a shoulder or something. Yeah. No, they shoot him right in the stomach. No, nope. and he's just trouble. talking. That yeah. cracks me up. And um. then at one point, you know, Cappy's getting moved to, to go into this ambulance and why are they getting loaded in these giant army looking medical transports I don't first know. of all that would definitely just be civilian transports <laughs> yeah. it's not going to be some army no. truck that shows up yeah so they load him up and then he talks to Halle Berry's character again and so they kind of chit chat a little bit yep. and she's like who are you and the car pulls up Dr. Grant you need it's, to the Pentagon it's perfect time <laughs> yeah. like I love it it's so cheesy he turns back and he's like Jan how do you like Hawk and then he opens the door to this government vehicle that's supposed to be taking him to the Pentagon, <laughs> and he just lets her get in, and nobody says a word. No ID check. The FBI is just nothing. like, all right, I guess we're well, going to get coffee that's first, a date. or they're okay. getting coffee at the Pentagon. Yeah. I don't know. And then they get in the car, and he's like, so tell me, Jan, do you like hockey? And she yeah. kind of laughs and says, no, I don't like baseball. Yeah, we're just going to end on the lightest note possible after this traumatic there's several people dead. There's a bomb. There's all everybody was injured. Who knows if Cabby's going to walk again? She mentions I'm actually more of a baseball person. I think it was a nod, and I think it was a deep nod because only the hardcore Kurt Russell fans at that time would be like, "Yeah, he was a ball player. Yeah, like that's that's what he did." You know, but and that's the end. I mean, yeah, it's just cut cut to credits, cut to black at that point. Yeah, and they just kind of roll. It's it's very much a '90s like like we said, the action's done. Get the people out of the theater. Yeah. Have a little flirtatious moment. It's cute. Get them in the car, send them out yeah. into the night. Take all the major done. characters and give them a wave goodbye. Yeah. And then we're done. And that's it. I think it's a it's a dang entertaining movie. I don't know. We could go on and on about it, and we have. But why don't we do this? What if we take a break? I think it's a good idea. <laughs> it's good. I need a break. <laughs> I do, too. Um, we'll take a break, and then we'll come back in a minute and talk about our rules and performance by Kurt. Okay. 
<laughs> oh boy. Oh jeez. All right. We talked about a lot. And uh thank you to anyone who listened to this for bearing with yeah, us. Yeah, if you're at this point, <laughs> thank you. Yeah, that was uh that was quite a bit to uh to get through there. In a movie that has a very simple concept and we stretched it out. We really mined that for all the gold there. <laughs> Every last drop that could Every be out little of that movie, nugget. We got it. <laughs> So anyway, thank you, everybody. Let's get on to uh, our final segments here, starting off with the performance. I'm just going to do a quick little recap here. I think in general, this is a very interesting character for him. We said earlier, this feels like, according to Kurt, the character that's most closest to home for him. It's different than a lot of his action-oriented roles, and it's really interesting to see him take quite a turn in this role, going from a kind of mild-mannered analyst to someone who has to lead a team of commandos. Yeah. In a, in a period of like two hours. So, um, no, I totally agree. It's a different kind of role. And I would say it's a different kind of role, even within the existing list of movies he'd done, not just the ones that we've talked about, oh, yeah. but yeah. leading up to this movie. I agree. I think it's different than what he had done yeah. previous in his career. Yeah. In, in terms of like what I've seen. Yeah. Like there's, there's not a lot of stuff like this. And so I, I'm just going to say it. I think the man looks good in a tux. Yep. I think he works really well with the glasses, as we said, and in some type of like analyst capacity. Yep. I think it's a testament to the fact that he kind of fell into the action world because he really fits well in this kind of like nerdy, just kind of analyzing the figures type guy. And I love it for that. I love that that's a very natural performance. I love that he seems very comfortable doing it. I love that he has a unique haircut in this one. It has stuck with me ever since I was a kid. I think he looks really good in this and he has this to me, peak handsome Kurt Russell. And I'm going to add one more thing to that, Joe. (laughs) His, His eyes. Yeah. There's a scene in there where it's real close in on his face. Yeah. It's those piercing eyes. Yeah. He looks good. He does look good. Okay, having said all that, the performance in this film, I'm going to go pretty high here. I'm going to give it a 9 out of 10 Goldies. Okay, I think that's very, very fair. Yeah. The hardest part for me in rating this was truly that I could not separate Kurt (laughs) and this character. And Uh you've heard it throughout this episode. I can't remember the character's name. It's just Kurt (laughs) Russell doing all this stuff. And what does it say about us that I think to myself, yeah, I think Kirk could probably do that. He could do it. I, I could see him doing yeah, this. Yeah, he could probably do it. So for that reason, I was leaning in the eight-ish range. Yeah. I'm going to go up to eight and a half, though. Okay, Give okay. Give 8.5. I respect that, 8.5. So that gives us an 8.75 yeah. judge's score here. And so I think that's pretty good. That's probably, I think, one of the highest ones we've had. It's up there. Yeah. We're usually fairly high on the scale. <laughs> Well, again, it's the Goldie scale, and, uh, you know, when he liked Kurt a little too much, it would feel weird if we gave him anything below a six. Yeah, it'd be weird. It would be really weird. Uh, let me ask you one last thing. Yeah. Better or worse movie if Steven Seagal survives and he's part of the worse, team? Worse. 100% worse. Really? This works so well because of that. Interesting. Because it's a transition from that person being the commander of this situation. Right. And then Kurt's character having to take over and become a leader. Step up. I think that aspect of this movie helps it. If Steven Seagal is in the rest of this movie, you could have some conflict between the two of them. Right. But he would just overpower it. Yeah. In an awkward way, to tell you the truth. Yeah, that's that's fair. that's if Steven Seagal is in the rest of the movie. If you're asking me if the character he plays (laughs) could have potentially been in the rest of this movie, if played by a different actor. Yeah. Possibly. Yeah, but it's a completely different movie, even so. It's a different movie at that point. Yeah. I think it works really, really well because that character dies. That's fair. It's a transition of that character who doesn't like Kurt's character saving his life and dying as a result of it. It's a very 
good moment. Yeah, in it is. That sense. It is. It's it's a yeah. It's quite the sacrifice, and it's it's admirable. Okay. All right. So we got eight point seven five for that. Yeah. Moving on to the rules. Now these are all good good old Kurtz rules. I'm going to start with you on this one, Ian. Throw throw one at me. Let's hear what you have first on your list. All right. List. Number one on my list is have confidence in your expertise. Oh, okay. Don't be afraid to stick to your guns in areas where you're confident and know what you're talking about. Okay. In this movie, Kurt's character is confident about this terrorist he knows yep. a lot about. Yep. He's confident about what's happening on this airplane without yep. even having details about the hijacking. Yeah. And he's willing to push for it and willing to speak up. Just have confidence in your expertise. That's a pretty good one. He never really wavers in his confidence of like, I can find him. I know what he sounds like. There's a lot of questions and I think people bucking against him, especially John Leguizamo. I think that he really maintains his confidence in, in his knowledge yeah. throughout, which is, that's a good point. That's yeah. a really good point. Yeah. Moving on to my rule, my number one here. I think you and I might have some overlap. I don't know, but I'm taking it straight from the movie. Relax and fly the plane. Yeah. I mean, obviously it's very on the nose in the film. Look, we can overthink things. We can get distracted. And I think there's times where you need to just relax, know your strengths, your weaknesses, your limitations, whatever, and just do whatever the, I don't know, objective is or whatever in front of you. Yeah, I no, know, I totally so, agree. Yeah. Let's just transition into what was going to be my number three, which is now my number two, <laughs> which is just fly the plane. I knew it. I it's knew exactly you had the same it. I knew it. We had yeah. to have that thing. It was such a major point in the movie. Yeah. You can have all the confidence in the world and be ready to do whatever, but at the end of the day, sometimes you just need to fly the plane. Yeah. Roll the yeah. punches, just do it. cut out the noise, and fly the plane. Yep. Totally yep. agree. Yep. That's, that's really funny, man. I thought you would have it. All right. Number two for me is any landing you can walk away from. Look. He did the best he could. He was a pilot. He basically was flying Cessnas. He was put in a situation where he had to land a 747. The cards he would dealt, I would think he did the best he could. I can't believe he landed it successfully. And if that were me, I would be extremely proud of landing that as best as I did. I think that's a great rule. Look, it might not be perfect, but if you pulled off the job, great. Let's move on to the next one. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, don't kick yourself over it. Yeah, exactly. Don't kick yourself over it. What do you got for your number two? All right, my number two, number three is... Be ready to take charge. Oh, interesting. You never know when you're going to get called to the Pentagon and crammed to do an experimental stealth aircraft, having to <laughs> insert yourself into a 747 with a bunch of terrorists on it. No, you never know when you're going to be in a situation that really asks a lot of you. Just be ready for those moments and be ready to take charge when it does come up. I like that. That's a good one. Be ready. Could, I mean, could be instant. You could yeah, be called, you never know. called up to the big leagues. No one, so. no one's going to tell you when that's going to happen. No, they're not. It's just going to show no, up. You've got to be ready for the opportunity. Yep, exactly. Exactly. My last one is the solution could be right in front of you. This mainly comes from the scene where they're looking for that thing to slip between those two parts in the bomb, and he's got the straw in his mouth, and they use the straw to do it. Yeah. So don't be afraid to look right in front of you. The solution to your problem might be right within arm's reach. I think that's a very uh, very astute observation, if, I'm, if I may say. Oh, yeah, okay. I think so, too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Good. Congrats, Joe. Yeah, thank you. On my end, I'm reviewing your rules right now. You basically have more or less maintain your confidence in, in yourself. Have confidence in your expertise. Yeah. Be ready uh, to take charge. And fly the plane. And just fly the plane. Okay, from your rules, I am going to select... I know it's one of mine, but I'm just going to say fly the plane. <laughs> I was going to ask you ahead of time. <clears throat> so let's talk about this for a second. Let's talk about this for a second. Do those cancel each other out because they were identical? <laughs> Do we just have as a third rule that is very clear in this, just fly the plane? And we pick from the other two that we both had. 
I think it's pretty funny that we just both have the same one. I mean, of course we do. I knew it. It's I knew it. Such a it's, Halle Berry yells it at him. I know. Of course it we reminds me it. of when we were doing the uh, the epi- the previous episode with the King Tut line, and we were both yeah. like, "That's the best line." Name the episode that line. <laughs> so we're at a little bit of an impasse here. <laughs> yeah, this is a, we had similar ones in the past, but this is identical. Yeah, for us. this is pretty funny, and I'm not surprised by this. I should have asked you before we recorded this because I thought we would both have the exact no, same no, rule. I'm glad that we do. <laughs> so what if we do this? Why don't we take fly, just fly the plane? Yeah. We'll set that apart and say that's obviously a rule we're both taking right, away. We're going to have three tonight. There's three we're going to have rules. three. We'll have yeah, three takeaways. Special moment. Yeah, right, exactly. So fly the plane. That's a rule. I'm going to pick one from the other two on your list. Yep. And if you want to do that for mine. Love it. We'll give us three total. I like it. Okay, so we got fly the plane. Your other two... I'm going to say be ready to take charge. Okay. I like that. All right. Good one. What do you got from my two? From yours, I'm going to pick any landing you walk away from. Okay. I like it a lot. It's very thematic in this. Yeah. And it's a very good rule to to remember that right. if you get that thing on the ground and you can walk away from it, that's success. Yeah. Well, that's it. I mean, we've gone through the performance. We've gone through the rules here. We have had a... Rich episode. <laughs> yeah, deep, very deep episode. We're going to do a lot here. Thank you to everyone for listening and going through Executive Decision with us. Next time, we're going to be back with a interesting little uh, late 90s thriller. Yeah, I've never for- seen this movie. Okay, okay. Well, you're, you're in for a treat. Thanks. It's a good one. Yeah. I'm very interested because this will be, uh, Breakdown is the name of the film. It's going to be very different in tone from anything we've done so far. So our conversation around this movie, I think, is going to be a little different. Pretty interesting. So get excited for that, everybody. It's going to be a great one. Breakdown. Feel free to watch it before the episode if you want to see it. Yeah. Uh, and then, you know, you can be familiar with it when we're talking about it. And uh, I'll go ahead and close this thing out. Thank you, everyone, for listening to Executive Decision. It's a classic. (laughs) And we will talk to you all next time. See you, everybody. Bye, everybody.